I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So I want to start with um, what I missed when I was away, lads. So I was away for three weeks and I didn't miss you one little bit. Um, I have to say there was very little going on. So I started digging, looking for some kind of stories that I would have missed over the last three weeks. And there's very little um, out there, it has to be said. But the one that was sticking out more than any other was Dean Rock. And the controversy and the hullabaloo that has been surrounding his decision to launch a free-taking school or a project. And um, apparently, uh, Dean Rock says, this project will involve the development of each individual's own free-taking process through technique cues, purposeful practice, and the subsequent evaluation of this practice. Um, heard little bits of the show, Conan. Um, I, know you, I know you covered this, but you'll have to give me your thoughts on it again um, here. I'd say it's fairly obvious what I think of this. This is a, a, a complete load of nonsense, anyone criticising him. Whose business is it to criticise anything Dean Rock does in his private life? I find this really insulting, Will You go away for three weeks, we steer the ship really well, and you come back and do it again, all over again. <laughs> 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 I'm back. Um, but yeah, the, the rock thing is interesting. The, the email that obviously everybody saw, like if you read the sort of bit that's covered at the very top of whatever it is, a tab or something, you can see sort of the text behind it. And it says by the end of the first session and for the full second session, I'll have a distinct awareness of your style and needs. And then that's where the learning can occur. So it's you're basically being told that you have to have a second session, really, to have any chance of, of getting any value for, for money out of this. Look. When I saw it initially, it's like, oh, it's a business idea. I didn't know the prices at the time. I thought, grand, there's probably a demand for it. You can see the market. But, yeah, like for me, the price is it's a bit mad, especially considering it's like a first-of-its-kind venture. There's nothing to compare it to. There's, there's no qualification for this sort of thing, not that I'm aware of anyway. And, I mean, you have to remember as well that everything Dean Rock has in terms of his ability to strike a ball. Like, he has that through, through the work of voluntary coaches down through the years and, like, through his own hours and hours and hours of practice. Like the best thing he could teach anybody is just to, 
to tell them to, to practice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, but no, no. You have to admit, what coaches would have coached him that? That's number one talent that he got from his father. A lot of help from his father and tips from his father. Like I, I do think too much is put into these. Uh, you know, volunteers who coach you on the way up. Usually the advice you get as a young fella coming up through the ranks from these coaches is go down on the ball, rise it, you know, give a one-two. Like, let's not overblow what these volunteers do for players and them taking credit for how brilliant these players turn out. A lot of the time, that's not the reality of it. Now, there is a, a strong case for Dean Rock to say, why doesn't he go down and coach the children in Ballymun Kickhams or go around Dublin um, and coach them for free? You know, like, I mean, that's what a lot of players do. But at the same time, Connor, every individual isn't the same. Every Like, if he wants to make money off of the talent that he has and give people... For me, it's extortionate prices. It's crazy prices. You want to be... You'd want to have your head red, um, you, you know, to be paying that much for it. But there are... Look, the, amount, the people who have that kind of money to pay for their children to do that, I would be more than happy for Dean Rock to take their money, Connor. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, well, to be honest, William, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I mean, last week I, I thought I was odd in that I didn't, I wasn't either outraged by this or I didn't have, I didn't feel the need to, you know, go hugely out in defence in Dean Rock, which was obviously I was going by Twitter, which is a bad place to kind of uh, judge an argument. But that it seemed to be two people taking extreme sides, whereas my thing was that like, Dean Rock is well entitled to do what he does. He's obviously the best at what he does. And if he wants to make money off a of fair play to him, I just thought then I saw if the prices that were confirmed, I just thought that is way too much for my liking and kind of maybe but uh kind of stuck in the craw a little bit. But but that's but but that's that that's about the extent of it. I suppose the only other thing I had on top of that was that the people that were launching defense of Dean Rock were comparing him to they were saying that like, well, there's coaches up and down the country that are getting paid, you know, hundreds of quid for taking sessions and at least that Dean Rock has been transparent about it, which which I absolutely get and which an argument which I absolutely take, but I don't I didn't feel the need to compare them. Do you know what I mean? Just because um people are are eejits to pay, you know, for 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 some of the shyster coaches that do the rounds and people are paying them hundred hundreds of quid. I didn't think that was comparable directly to what Dean Rock was doing. I think that the people should have isolated, you know, took Dean Rock's idea in isolation. But that when it came down to it, I was like, yeah, fair play to Dean Rock, but would I pay those prices? Absolutely not. Yeah, he's going to make money off rich Southsiders being a proud Northsider himself, Conan. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this at all. <laughs> that, that's the only, they're the people who's going to probably afford this. Um, a lot of, look, there, there's a lot of begrudgery as well. Um, there's no doubt about that when somebody wants to go and make some money off the GEA. This is, again, the whole idea of we're all in this together. We're volunteers. I'm just, I'm a, the volunteer over the under 10s is just as important as Dean Rock. He's not. Let's call a spade a spade here. He's just not. The, the most important volunteers in all of the GA, which keep it afloat, are the intercounty players. They're the most talented. They're the, they've reached the very, very highest level of the game. Yes, they are volunteers. That's where the comparison probably ends with a lot of the other volunteers. And that's all right. But I think there's an attitude out there, Conan, where some some volunteers or some club players, there's a jealousy, there's a begrudgery. And there's also this, well, if I'm an amateur and I'm getting nothing for it, how dare he get something for it? Like, do you... Do you do you, do you understand the point I'm making? I do, like, and I like I do agree as well. Like, I, I wanted to have Dean Rock on the show actually last Monday before that email went out because I thought this is this is an interesting like business that he's put together here. But I didn't like the prices. I think are are crazy as well. Just what you're saying. But like, there's that 
we I think we talked about the film Rounders at Poker Film a few weeks back, and there's a good quote in that that it says, um, "It's immoral to let a sucker keep his money." You know, so basically, if somebody wants to give over the money for someone like that, then then take it off them. But um, yeah, I know what you're saying about the volunteer thing. There are still also a lot of good coaches, and I think because say the GA is not not professional, then it probably stands out a bit more then that there's somebody taking money then from that when they're a player and they're just passing on sort of what they've gotten from their own volunteers or whatever else. It's just, it's the first of its kind. Maybe he's just the first through the wall so he gets his head bloody and it'll be normal in a few years. But yeah, I can see why it stands out too. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, some people are saying it wouldn't happen under Jim, Jim Gavin. I don't know what to say to that because again, it's Dean Rock's personal life. Like, I mean, Desi Farrell is the manager now. Desi's obviously ex-CEO of the GPA. So he has no, he would have no moral issue with making money off, you know, your name and your talent. So maybe there's something in that. I don't know. It's a hypothetical situation. Best of luck to Dean Rock. That's what I say. And if he, if he finds people that are going to pay him that money, um, you know, good luck to him. I'm going to leave the last word on this Dean Rock story to Marty Morrissey. And I've read some of these quotes and I, well, I nearly fell off the chair. So Marty, this is what Marty had to say about the Dean Rock situation. Look, let me put it like this. I've made a career out of being a GA commentator and I get paid. So why would I begrudge someone like Dean Rock to do something a little bit different with his talent? So Marty completely comparing his own career with Dean Rock and pretty much comparing their talents and how they both make mo money off their talents. And I think we should leave it there. So like, I mean, there's nothing much else to say on the Dean Rock situation other than the fact that Marty's made a career out of it. Why can't Dean Rock make a career out of it? We'll leave it at that. Um, Shane Dowling, lads, you had him on the show, Con, and I listened to this interview because I love uh, Shane Dowling. Um, huge uh, fan of his. Only 27. Heartbreaking, really. Couldn't really get to the bottom of the whole injury thing and how it's so serious was why he had to why he had to finish. Seems to be a hole in the cartilage in his right knee or there was a second hole or something like that. It was just an ongoing issue. I didn't think cartilage... I've I've a percentage of my cartilage taken out and I, when I was 15 and I'm, I'm still playing away and it's okay. I don't know. Could he not just get some of it taken out? I, I don't know. When I read it, it didn't seem a serious enough injury to for him to have quit. <laughs> you haven't changed anyway, will you? <laughs> um, it, it, I think he had three operations on his knee, was it, over the, over the last three seasons? And yeah. Basically, like I didn't because we were interviewing him a few days later. Didn't go into the injury. He did do that in a lot of different, um, different interviews. And he was talking about it was going to be a choice between like might not be able to walk and live a normal life, you know, just for the sake of playing for a few more years. So it was a decision he sort of had to make if he wanted to just be able to play golf and, and get around like he like he wants to get around. I told I I was told when I was fifteen that I'd be in a wheelchair when I was forty. I'm forty two now and I'm bloody running around there's not a bother of me. Don't believe those doctors. They're scaremongers. That's what they are. Like I mean I know but like it is true. Obviously without cartilage there's a wear and tear and I I can feel it now walking upstairs and stuff like that. But Jesus, I don't know, like um I definitely Ah, look, he obviously got the medical advice. I don't know what road I'm going down here, Connor, where I'm, go I'm going to start criticising. I'm just disappointed, I suppose, that he's finished. I'm not sure either, Willie. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, that doctor that told you is going to be delayed a couple of years, and by the time you're 50, <laughs> you're up in a wheelchair or something like that. Just, uh, yeah, Connor did a great interview with him as well. It's just, um, it's just very sad that he's uh, Shane Dowling is tw 27, I think, and I actually had uh, Shane Dowling down as just in my head. I think he looks a bit older than he is, and he he seems to have been around for a long time. 
And uh, so I had him down as close to 30 or maybe just in his kind of early 30s. So to so to have to put a career, cut a great career short like that at that age, it's just, it's just, um, that's just really disappointing. And I think he said something like, uh, you know, that to look back in his head, you know, that, that the last time he would pull on a Limerick jersey was in July 2019, I think when he was only 26 years old. So it's just very sad, but he's taken it very well and he's spoken very well. And he's uh, a great talker, yeah. He's a very likeable sort of fellow. And I just hope with that in mind that he'll that he his his is a voice that will continue on that he'll, he'll you know some somebody will snap him up in media and stuff like that so that it isn't the last we've heard of of Shane Dowling. I know it won't. And he left the WhatsApp group as well, which I thought was interesting. I'd have left him on it. I I would have kept him involved for this year at least. And maybe Shane didn't want it himself and wanted to keep a a bit of a you know a bit of a distance from it. But I I'd imagine he'd be a fantastic fella to have around around the squad um, for his personality alone. Um, yeah, so that was disappointing. The John Horan's being this is hilarious. So John Horan is not happy about the government's decision. So we're still at phase three, lads. That's the thing. The pubs and stuff is phase four and the gatherings, 500 outdoors is phase four. That's been pushed back. John Horan's not happy about this. Now, this is Mr. John Horan who decided to have no, who said on the Sunday game he didn't want to have any any GEA going on while there's social distancing. Mr. Conservative. Mr. Conservative John Horan who pushed out opening GEA grounds two months after the government said it's okay. And now all of a sudden, John Horan has a huge problem with the government because the government are being a little bit cautious to the tune of three weeks. So I'm not even entertaining John Horan's criticism of this. Um, the minute it starts affecting the pocket in the, of, the, of the games, um, you know, he's gonna, he seems to have a problem with it. I am criticising John Horan a little bit, but he is absolutely right in certain circumstances. There's obviously a small club game where 200 lining up along the field is a little bit dangerous. And then you have the farce in the Gaelic grounds um, at the weekend for the club games. The Gaelic grounds is 50,000 and you can, you could fit whatever, seven, 8,000 in there, per- perfectly socially distanced. So the idea that a blanket 200 covers every GA ground in the country that's just silly, Connor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we just going back to John Horn as well. We we talked about this. Um, we talked about this at the time, and just not only kind of were his comments kind of ill-advised based on kind of what he had said before, but he kind of came out of it. He came out of it at a time. I think that morning or around that day, Connor. You might stand corrected, but uh, you might be able to correct me. But we were talking about X amount of clubs having to shut down activity. Um, because of you know potential COVID cases and stuff like that, and the government had just announced that they was going back to uh, that phase four wasn't going to go ahead. So in terms of in terms of the time of his comments, they seemed a little bit ill, Ill- advised as well. Like uh, as regards just watching it the weekend, it just it just really kind of hit home when you're looking at. Uh, I think I saw a picture a game at Killarney yesterday as well, which can probably hold what thirty five thousand, and then you're looking at a game in Limerick in the Gaelic grounds that can hold up to 45,000 and they're, they're restricted to 200. So it does look a bit ridiculous. All I can say is that like that, the, the outdoor gatherings are, I think that that's in phase three, unless the government going to change, they're not going to change their tune until August 10th when it's 500 people. So it's look as, looking as if we're going to have to put up with that for the next three weeks anyway. And, and to be fair, Conan, well, I don't know what it's like in other counties, but the first round games in Leash. Now, I know we've been out without games for so long, there's a bigger interest in them, but you wouldn't get much more than 200 at a first round club championship match at Leash. It's not a huge, by the time the club starts ramping up, We'll have you, you know you'll have five hundred um, at the games that will be allowed. Yeah, and like we were talking about two hundred, and that's also remember including the players and the officials and the, oh yeah, and the media, yeah, it's everything. Yeah, you're right. We're talking one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty fans, and the way it was done in Dublin was that every player was given two tickets, basically. You know, and it's not it doesn't go very far then when 
yeah. when, when that's the case. And the only thing I would say with John Horn is that I actually think he's been a little bit consistent because when he first went on uh, RT with Des Cahill, I thought I thought his motivation was he wanted crowds. It seemed like he was saying, well, as long as we can't have crowds together, then we can't have games. You know, it was almost like he was trying to push the government into into allowing crowds. But if you look at the the pictures, actually, what's happening? There's some really nice pictures, but maybe a little dangerous. You know, the people who are gathering outside the grounds and they're on trucks and they're they're standing on walls and stuff. They're way closer than they would be if they were just allowed inside and allowed to spread out around the pitch. They're all gathering together at one spot, and yeah, it, it just seems it seems bizarre. Like I went down to Ballymun and there was yeah, well, 120 people around, and it doesn't doesn't even cover the sideline. Like you know, so there's there's plenty of room for more. Yeah, there's plenty. Sean Kelly made the point. He said it absolute Sean Kelly, that's XGA president Sean Kelly, he said it makes absolutely no sense in a stadium like uh, Limerick with a capacity of 45,000 to be empty um, for the Kilmallock and the Pearshick game tonight. COVID-19 restrictions need to be realistic and based on each ground's capacity. And that makes absolute sense. Each ground's capacity. It looks to me like, I mean, you know, the 200 people gatherings was was kind of brought in with weddings you know, concerts, funerals, things like that in mind. And sport was way down the list because it makes no sense in a sporting context to just put 200 across every stadium in the country. You know, and that's a government issue. That's not a, a GE issue. Um, Tony Considine, the Kilmanic manager, said if you could fit 1,000 into a shopping mall, surely you could f- put 500 into the Gaelic grounds. Like, I mean, that's the reality. And I think they should start putting a little bit of pressure on the government to actually have some sort of strategy for sport, you know, because the 200 does not apply to stadiums, huge stadiums around the, around the country. Just to finish up on things I missed out on, lads, was uh, all these uh, COVID-19 cases in the clubs. So Derry's riddled in it anyway, Con, and you stay in Dublin anyways, don't go back up there. Um, that's that's a, that's a, a the epicenter of the of the coronavirus in Ireland. Derry, Northern Derry, is it up the north of Derry? Yeah, North Derry. Yeah, the South ones would be very quick to tell you that they were, they were talking about. <laughs> you were home for a couple of days, kind of, weren't you? Oh Jesus, you're as bad as me home from Spain. I, 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 it's a disaster. I'm, I'm stuck for fourteen days now without meeting anybody. Can't even show off my tan. I can't do anything. It's a disaster. And the, the mad thing is, actually, up in Derry and the rest of the six counties, they're allowed 400 to games, so you're allowed more people there, even though there's some more cases popping up. I saw a headline, I actually didn't read it, Oshie McConville was given out about having the same, the same um, capacities throughout the whole country. Instead of mate, you're allowed four hundred. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. What are you, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, I couldn't understand why someone would want less just to, just to, you know, be at the same level as the as the republic. Yeah, well, across my land, they'd get a hammer in there in one of the league games, so maybe they wanted to spare crowds going down to the to the games they watch them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's clubs in Kilkenny, Dublin, Leash, Carlow, Down, Armagh. Um, the leash one was interesting. It was collection. It wasn't even one of their players. They shut down because one of their players was a close contact of somebody outside the club um, that had it. So uh, safe to say clubs are being very, very cautious about this. And rightly so. Um, they seem to be doing a great job. The policy for this, because this is something I was wondering about. And this is like the week before a county final. And one of the players test positive. And this is an important distinction. We're back to casual contacts, by the way, which is great. So teammates and opponents of a player who tests positive 
they will be casual contacts unless they've been in a close contact in instances like sharing a car or you know being at the same in this living in the same house or going social out socially together so this is a case that there will never be a situation the week of a county final where a club has to pull out of the county final um conan it's a situation where two or three players might that are traveling in the same cars but because dressing rooms aren't open because you're trying to be safe and practicing social distancing. Your teammates are casual contacts. This is not going to just shut down. Mm, but, but, like that's county final. I'm wondering, say, like the championship in Derry starts next week, and like there were ten clubs that shut down, and like it's sort of the same as collection. A lot of them just were proactive, and I think only one of them, Banagher, might have had a case. But the GA then advised Banagher that they can go ahead. But they were sort of like, you're all right. <laughs> you know, somebody has COVID in our club. We're not we're not putting all the people at risk and we want to test everybody. Kalevi, I think we're the same and they've tested 125 people since. But I wonder what would happen, say, one of the first round games or one of the group games. Would, would those clubs still be proactive and say, no, we're protecting our club members. We're not going ahead. If it was a county final, they might, they might play that one-off game. But if it's a group game then they say they're not playing. What does the GA do then? Or what does Derry GA do in that, in that instance? And obviously we've talked before, there's not there's not a lot of space to, to reschedule games or anything. Yeah, no, there's not a lot of space. Like um, Old Lion um, Club in Carlo had an example of it. Like, I mean, they were very, very quick to sort this out. So they had a player who, um, he had played some challenge games. He had been at training on Tuesday night. On Wednesday morning, he felt symptoms. By breakfast time on Thursday morning, every player in the club and the chairman of all three opposition clubs that they've been playing against have been informed. Um, every old Lion player was told to restrict their movements, to inform their employers and to get to their GP to request that they be sent for a test. Within 24 hours, um, virtually every person in the club who have been involved in the matches or choosing nice training had been down to Nolan Park for a test. By Saturday, all results had come back and were all negative for COVID. A couple of things with this. Number one, the player who had it was training and playing uh, matches and didn't infect any of his teammates. So that's a real positive um, thing. Now, he didn't feel symptoms until Wednesday morning. I think you're way more contagious when you have the symptoms. When you're asymptomatic, I don't think it's as contagious, which is great as well. So people are just be very careful when they have have the symptoms and number two how quickly they were able to get down to Nolan Park get everybody tested and have the turnaround by Saturday so like I mean I don't know Connor I'd be very encouraged now uh, there's obviously a test centre in Nolan Park there's one in Amore Park as well how in every county I'm sure there is a big test centre um, in every county that these things uh, obviously there's the example of 10 clubs in Derry would put a bit of a strain on you know the test centre there but that's encouraging on a, on a on a couple of different levels as far as I'd be concerned yeah, and I think it's come on a bit since, like even when we were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, Conan, about the number of clubs in Derry and a couple of clubs in Cork, and we were kind of nearly fear-mongering or scare-mongering because we are, we're really worried about this going to happen all over the place. But what's been happening since is that there's been a load of cases, like the old island uh, one that you mentioned there, Willie, where there have been cases kind of flagged, but then immediately kind of resolved. Uh, like yesterday, for example, um, my Davids would be my, uh, the next club to to Calchamay in, in Mayo. And they were ready to play. A, it was just a divisional cup game. They were ready to play a game and it had to be cancelled because a player had reported symptoms. So something went out uh, on their social media accounts to say that they'd suspended club activities. And I'd say within four hours later, the player in question who had experienced symptoms um, got back. Like there was something put out to say he'd had a test and everything negative so the club could resume 
activities again. So like, whereas I think at the start, people were worried that clubs were going to be closed for days and stuff like that. So it's just encouraging to see that now clubs seem to have got a handle on it and a, and, and a handle on kind of what to do immediately. Whereas kind of, you know, a couple of weeks ago when, when stuff was resuming, you know, people were, were getting scared that the, you know, championships might be cancelled and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, so, some really kind of, um, while, while this sort of stuff was, well, this well, this sort of stuff was inevitable. I think we worried about the reaction of clubs and the reaction of the GA, but that's been really positive about kind of um, how games might develop from now from now on, given how quickly they're they're you know these matters are being dealt with. Yeah, I think it's important. So when when we were over in Spain, we're in a campsite and we got word. Well, the campsite got word that a girl who had stayed there had tested positive. And she'd been there for like a week. So we were coming back from the beach one day and uh, there was a walkway up to the campsite and it was cordoned off, almost like a murder scene. And there was police there. And we're asking the police what the story was and they wouldn't tell us. And we got back into the campsite and the campsite was locked up. Everybody that was in there was locked in and could not leave. And within the space of maybe three hours, you had everybody in the campsite tested. Thing, it's a terrible test. A thing stuck way up your nose, almost like it's touching your bloody eye. Yeah. And uh, so everybody in the campsite was tested that night. Queues of people, they all got tested. And the turnaround was so fast that we got results the next morning. So we tested um, negative. So we got the hell out of there. We thought the place would be riddled in it because she was a young enough girl and she'd been partying and she, you know, the younger people have been hanging around in big groups. So we got out of there. As it turns out, in the entire campsite, there was only three positive cases. You know, so like, I mean, I think the, the most important thing is getting every the minute something like this happens is just getting people tested and getting the turnaround, you know, the 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 results back as soon as possible and just let this thing um, continue on. I don't think we're going to get a situation uh, basically, Conan, to be a bit positive where the, 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 the whatever about the club championship, the inter-county championship will run ahead without any without any teams having to pull out or anything like that, I would imagine. Yeah, I thought you were going to recommend building a wall around Derry there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> right, come here. We'll leave it there, lads, and we will come back with a club roundup. When your legs don't work like they used to before I was actually coming home on Saturday morning and I had the podcast on for Newbridge all night and that that helps the journey to be honest if I'm if I've ran out of Ed Sheeran songs depends on mood I'm in Ed's good for uh, if you're in a sappy mood Ed's good to sing along to you and then if you're in a GA head mood which I am probably most of the week then I turn these boys on Darling I will be loving you Okay, so Les, the club roundup, and this is a, this is almost an impossibility, if we're being honest. Like These are first-round matches all over the country, so there's no way of narrowing this down and giving a, a proper club roundup. So there's no doubt that it's a challenge. So I had a look down through whatever matches. Well, there's only one place to start, I suppose, and that's Scary's Harps, who got their arses handed to them by Ballymun Kickhams, um, which will come as a surprise to nobody. So what was the story here, Conan? Were you playing? What were you doing? I wasn't playing, though. I was uh, injured watching on the sideline. Um... T- tactically being injured for a game where you're getting hammered. <laughs> <laughs> I that's one yeah. of those where your your stock goes up, doesn't it, when you don't play? It's like oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it happens. Ah, uh, to be honest, very disappointing. Like, I actually thought we were going to give them a, a good rattle. And... <laughs> that's not, uh, it's just this optimism that I remember when I started with Leash, and like I mean, we'd be 
there's no way we can win this game. And lads will be asking me, will, will I bet on Leash? And I'm like, oh, bet on us. No problem. Like, we're going to win this one. And it take you a few years to realise, here, mate, I'm not, don't bet on Leash. Just don't ask me that question anymore. That's it. You thought you were going to beat Ballymun Kickhams. You know, like, because, like, so three seasons ago, we played Vincent's, got our arse's hand at this. Last year, played Ballyboden, arse's hand at this. And then this year, I thought we were, like, better prepared and fitter and faster. And, and uh, yeah, arse's hand at this again. Yeah. And, the only, problem, the only problem is Ballymun were better prepared, fitter and faster too. <laughs> I actually thought of you, because I remember a couple of years ago we were talking about, uh, you said everybody thinks that their team is better than what it was. And that was, <laughs> that was such a glass shattering moment for me. Like I've never forgotten that. Like I always thought all these club players I played with should have been playing county and I should have been <laughs> reassessing after that. Ah, they're, they're very impressive. Like they got, a, they got a penalty, which I thought it wasn't a penalty. It was their second goal now, but um, that sort of was the, the ending of the game then and then sort of coasted towards the end of it. And he trash talked from the sideline to Dean Rock about his uh, free about his uh, prices for his free taking. <laughs> I was actually thinking I was saying you could start a real row here now if you shouted in something like that. But the two of the boys who I think would be biggest suspects to do that weren't playing on the day, so maybe he got off of it and then. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't actually hear you there, Connor. Oh, I said. I just said it was Con- it was Connor one of the suspects that wasn't playing. <laughs> he could easily have been. Dean Rock misses the free. Go on, Rock. How much did that cost you? <laughs> just that kind of nonsense coming in from the sidelines. So St Jude's beating the Fina, and St Jude's are the ultimate party poopers. If you think you kind of fancy yourself, or you're getting a bit too big for your boots, there's one club in Dublin that'll bring you back down to earth, and that's St Jude's. We always say they're underrated. We had uh, Niall Coakley on the show. Um, last year, last year, him and his brother Brian scored one seven out of one ten. Like, I mean, they're an outstanding um, club team. There's no doubt about that. And the, geez, I just would love to see them win at the county a county title because they deserve one for their consistency. Um, there's no doubt about that. Coakley scored a goal, and the Saint Jude's manager Garrett Roach said afterwards, "Niall doesn't take on enough goals. We give out stink to him all the time. He's so good at taking a pint." You could nearly set your watch to him when he gets the ball because he's just going to bang it over the bar, even if there's acres of space for him to run into and get a goal. So it's delighted for him to take the goal today. And that's kind of a little bit of maybe coaching um, Conan and trying to improve a player and try to bring on a player and work on his weakness. Even if it's not down walkthroughs on the football field, it's more talking to him and showing him maybe examples of when a goal was on and he didn't take it and stuff like that. But I like to see quotes like that where they're giving him given uh, an excellent corner forward a lot of stick for not scoring enough goals. And, and does the surely sort of the 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 benefits of actual actual good analysis? Like, you know, how many times do you, did you just get a video sent out to you when you were playing and like you know nothing said about it? Whereas the top coaches and top managers will stop the video and, and look at all your other options that you had or look at what you should have done. And then like once you're doing that every week. That starts going into your head, then you start doing the right thing over and over, and that sums up St Jude's. I think they're they're so well set up, like and and they're such a team and such a unit. Everybody makes the right decision. You can't get a tackle on them because the ball is just moving so well. And like you know, obviously Coakley stands out, but nobody is really like sort of their outstanding player. It's just the ball is being moved so well, and when they don't have the ball, they are massive. Like I think them and Bally Bally Bowden would be the two strongest teams physically in Dublin. Yeah, no, they were. Speaking of Bally Bowden, they destroyed Clontarf. 
um, absolutely hammered him. And Anthony Rainbow was talking after that game and he was talking about the break really suiting them. And he said, we finished up on the 4th of January. We were, we were back training probably three weeks later for the league, which started in mid-February. And we're looking at championship in April. And then the whole COVID-19 thing happened. I think probably the break has done us the world of good. We probably needed more than three weeks off because if you look at it, we've been going solid for the last two years without any break. And that makes um, absolute sense that it, I think we talked about that in the show before that the break suits certain clubs depending on their age profile or how long they've been on the road. Interestingly, Chris Barrett was playing for Clontarf. Um, Connor, he said they're a great bunch of lads um, and they've been very welcoming to me. I'm just living around the corner from St. Anne's Park, so it's a local club. So we have to give Chris Barrett a lot of credit for not joining a club for money up in Dublin or not joining a club for glory and winning county titles. I'm completely against all that kind of thing. He joined He joined his local club, St. Anne's, uh, and St. Anne's Park, Clontarf, probably with no view of winning anything, but they're the club around the corner, and that's the right way to do it. Yeah, fair play to him. Fair play to Chris. I'd say he's got sick of the uh, commute back to Belmullet because uh, whatever about coming back to Mayo will probably take you three hours. Add another hour on to a, add another hour and a bit on to Belmullet. And fairness to him, he's going to be a huge loss to them. They've they've only gone senior in the last couple of years as well. But uh, as he said, yeah, it's 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 nice to see him playing for those reasons. I see him straight in at um, straight in at centre back as well. I I had thought of um. When I heard that Chris Bard was signing for Clontarf, I thought it'd be this uh, this star-studded half-back line with Jack McCaffrey one side and Chris Bard the other. But then I looked at the report of the game and I saw that Jack McCaffrey was centre forward. So yeah, I've seen how how kind of that worked out. And Chris Bard was saying afterwards, I think that he said that uh, he didn't think you know he he didn't think there was much in it. And then I saw the scoreline; it was like four eighteen to two twelve or something like that. So said that other people must have been watching a different game from you, Chris. But uh, great addition to great addition to. Uh, to uh to to Clontarf, but he is just to speak with my Mayo head on, he's gonna be uh gonna be a big loss for Bell because he's been he's been massive for them centre back for the last few years. So I think it was six goals they actually conceded. I was reading those quotes scratching my head, Chris Barrett. Yeah, there wasn't much in it or something like that, he kind of said. <laughs> they were level half time actually. Were they? Yeah, because that word came through. Like they they had each other in the group last actually we were in the, in both their groups and uh, it was really a point in it. Clontarf were beating them the whole way, and Bally Bowden just go over the line by a point, and then she obviously went on and won Dublin. So they were beating them by three or four. That was the word filtering through in Ballymun, and then it was level at half time, and then yeah, Bally Bowden just went through the gears and, and dominated them. Yeah, yeah, goals win games, I suppose. The games on television, Castlehaven versus Carberry Rangers. Uh, first to say, I have to say about this, the Clonakilty GA grounds, a beautiful little ground um, with a lovely little stand and a perfect pitch, and it's perfect for club championship. Um, there's no doubt about that. This game was all about the two hurlies inside. They ran amok. Um, they were absolutely outstanding. The I have to say, one thing I wanted to say about this game, it, there's, look, there's not a huge amount of talking points coming out of club games, but Castlehaven's four big county players, um, Cahillan, uh, Mark Collins, and the two hurlies, they have the perfect spread of county players. Say if you've got four county players, lads, where would you play the four of them? I play them at centre-back, like Castlehaven, at midfield, like Castlehaven, and the two inside forwards. You don't really need a county man on the half-forward line, I don't think. I think one in midfield is vital, one at centre-back is vital, and two lads to run amok in the full forward line is vital. If you had four county players, Conan, where are your favourite places to put them? <laughs> That's a good question. What, what about maybe I'm maybe I'm really showing my uh, where I'm from here, but I'm just thinking, what about a fullback to pick up a, a sharp a sharp corner forward on the other on the other team, like somebody who can close them down? I'd be thinking 
I'd be thinking fullback, centre back, and two full forwards. Yeah, that that'd be your your ideal. I think. Right, I, I okay. the midfield. I think you could get you could get somebody in there to do his job for you and work on your kickouts. Right. Okay. Interesting enough, Connor. What what do you? I do take your point of the corner back to you need one tagger to be able to mark the Bernard Brogan on the other team. I will take that. I will take that on board. I would. I'd six. I'd six is a given. I think centre back is is huge, especially especially a club of midfield definitely as well. I would add exact same as that bar. Maybe you could have somebody at eleven now. If if you've Mark Collins playing midfield, somebody who's played in the forward line for Cork and probably played centre forward for Cork. He's probably the perfect man to be delivering into the two hurlies from midfield, let's say. If it would be a toss of a coin between midfield and somebody at centre forward to feed either one or two deadly lads inside. But that's, def- the, that's, that's, yeah, that's def- the problem. The team. But I was thinking, like, what, like, poor Castlehaven when they don't have them. Do you know what I mean? Because, you, like, you have to find a completely new spine for the team, you know, if they're playing league games or, or stuff like that. But, like, in, in terms of, like, yesterday was perfect with, with Callan Six, with Mark Allen, and, like, Geez, um, Michael Hurley, absolutely right. I was thinking yesterday to be a cornerback, Michael, American Michael Hurley yesterday would have been an absolute nightmare the way he's been. Well, it would. I did, the good thing about having the two of them inside is like, I mean, you can really spoil a top forward by just putting a sweeper in front of him all the time. Yeah. And there's two yeah. in there, because Carberry Rangers did have a sweeper, but it's very hard to, the two Hurley's movement is so good, like, I mean, that it is difficult to cover both. That's why I like two inter-county players on a full forward line. Like, I mean, you could just destroy teams. There's no doubt um, about that. But Conan's made, now I want five county players to have a cornerback as well. Um, <laughs> so want Bally Monwell, they are so good. <laughs> Bally will kick him. So how, what way did they spread their county boys, Conan, there? Let, let me know. Um, where did James McCarthy, where did all their county boys play? Oh, yeah, well, Sully wasn't playing, but uh, John Small was centre-back. Comerford was in goals. That was a good one, actually, as well. They have a goalkeeper. Maybe you don't need it. Um... James McCarthy was midfield. Davy Byrne was centre forward for them actually. I know he's not counted at the minute, but he's been in and out. Um, Paddy Small was amazing uh, in corner forward. And Dean? Oh, Dean Rock as well. So yeah, Dean Rock and Paddy Small, yeah, the two man full forward line. So there you go. They had a nice spread of it. There you go. And Philly to go full back then when he comes back. They, they've spread them out well now. That's There's no doubt about that. They've, they've uh, put them in their best positions, I think. And your man Wheeler, Jason Wheeler, where was he? Wing forward? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. He's a good player too. Um, yeah, TG Carr. So, like, I mean, I didn't notice much difference on TG Carr. It was my first game yesterday to watch and then the hurling after it. The hurling was a, was a good game. We'll talk about that in a second. The I don't think the, the lack of atmosphere took away from it because that's usually what you get at club games anyways, right? You know, like, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Um, but I was reading some quotes from Ronan Okosh Dialva. Um, not great with those old Irish names, as you well know, lads. He's he was talking about using fake noise, and he says we won't be using fake noise this weekend. But it's something we're looking at into in terms of technical and logistical elements um, to it. For Premier League games, everyone kind of subconsciously accepts it would have been a full stadium. Maybe the club games we're carrying might have a few thousand at it. Making that sound realistic would be a challenge. Like there's no doubt about that, lads. I don't think they should go down this road. I don't think it needs it. I think 500 together in a stand can make a good um, amount of noise anyways, especially for county final um, time. And imagine pumping in some sort of fake inter-county <laughs> cheering for a club game. It would be just absolutely poxy, Connor. And you're fucking back. <laughs> you hear that every so often. Yeah, like he said subconscious there. Like that's the thing, the Premier League, you're used to hearing that 40,000. Yeah. So it's, it's fine. It's more yeah. job. It's not there, but... 
with this, I don't know how you can recreate it, and you're used to just hearing nothing, so again, it doesn't need to be done. It would be more jarring hearing a big crowd at a club game, I think. Yeah, no, I think it was. So I don't think they need to go down that road. Joe Canning sending off yesterday, lads, was a complete and utter farce. So this was a fairly closely contested game, um, a high-scoring game up until Joe got sent off because Jack, his nephew, got sent off just after that. His was a sending off. I had no idea what the linesman saw here, lads, um, to send off Joe Canning. There was nothing in this. this. He was given a straight red. He was already on a yellow. Now, you could make an argument for saying that Joe might have got another yellow because he kind of wrestled his man and suplexed him back down onto the ground. That was fine. But all he was doing was getting back up. And I think as he got back up, maybe his hurl or his hand unclipped um, the helmet of the fullback from Sarsfields. And as the fullback was getting up, his helmet just slipped off his head. <laughs> like Joe didn't take it off him. Like it was the most bizarre sending off. He gets a straight red. I would love to know when the referee ran over to the linesman, what the linesman could have told him, Conan. And again, like what what would he be trying to do? Like why would he be trying to take someone's helmet off who's on the ground? The play stopped. It's yeah. You know, like I think he was being a little bit cheeky. He was pushing his hand into his head as he was getting up. Like, you know, he so, maybe would have gotten a yellow. Would have been harsh enough. Sorry, the the linesman told him he pulled his helmet off because you can see Joe Canning saying, "I didn't effing pull the helmet off." Yeah, well, well that's that's obviously definitely what the yeah. linesman told him because he got the straight red. But like, I mean, how what did the linesman see for him I to think that it. was pulling the helmet off? And your man, you, you, Joe Canning kind of did suplex him, uh, Willie, as you said, but I think your man had a, gra- a hold of um, Canning's hand as well. That like, yeah. Canning might have been trying to wrestle him off him, but because your man had a hold of his hand, the natural thing to do was to, for the two of them to pull it off the ground. And then he went off after your man afterwards to say, nearly to say, tell him that, uh, tell him I didn't pull your helmet off, but your man yeah. was going to tell the ref then after we get the red card. So thought that was going to make a difference anyway. Well, that was it. I saw Canning starting to talk to him with the hands out, the fullback, and the fullback answered him back. He says, will you go away? Will you? Are you crazy? You're off there, Mick. Head on. But that was it. He was almost like looking for the fullback to here, be honest here now and tell him I didn't. And he didn't. He got, What Joe did was kind of, because they were wrestling, Joe just obviously was on top. So when you're on top, you're, you're going to let him know you're on top and maybe push him down a little bit. You know, that kind of way, that psychological thing of going, there you go, and kind of push him, shove him down into the ground. It was a complete accident. Um, but anyways, that was it. Sarsfields ended up hammering them then because Portumna were down to 30 men for the last uh, 10 minutes. There are some big football games in Kerry, lads. I don't know why it is in the Kerry Championship. Not that many senior clubs, I suppose, that Ken Mayer um, took on Cairns O'Reilly's and beat them. I'm a big Ken Mayer fan, lads. I have my Ken Mayer um, uh, hat definitely on. A friend of mine is their manager. And obviously, they've Stephen O'Brien and Sean O'Shea um, playing Sean O'Shea was outstanding uh, Tommy Walsh went off early 24th minute for Cairns O'Ratley so like I mean that was a big loss for them even though Stephen O'Brien went off uh, for Ken Mayer I heard you talking to Philly McMahon um, Conan he was talking about Mark and Tommy Walsh I thought he was a little bit vague you specifically asked him about Mark and Tommy Walsh and then he started talking about Michael Murphy <laughs> Yeah, right enough. Actually, I suppose a, a more experienced interviewer would have pulled him up on that, but um, not some dope like me. He, he, um, it was actually, but I thought it was interesting though. He was being honest about sort of his height and his strength and and how like where he positioned himself and things like that. And at least, at least he did admit to the fact that he was obviously coming on to Mark Tommy Walsh and nothing else. Like you know, I thought somebody else might have played that down, like a, a Dublin player in Jim Gavinner. Yeah, he said that he um, he used his low, he he can use his low center of gravity to his advantage, and I suppose that's leaning in and giving Tommy a nice little 
bump on the hip when Tom is trying to go up for balls or whatever like that. Philly's a very good spoiler. Um, he's done well on Aidan O'Shea with stuff like that um, as well. But Sean O'Shea led. So Cairns O'Reilly's got two points up. Um, there's only eight eight minutes left and they're favourites. Um, Sean O'Shea hits three points in a row. Like, I mean, isn't this like the kind of clutch stuff that you, that you need to see from Sean O'Shea? Um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a in a minute. Paul Gini scored the winning or the equalising point um, for Dingle. They grew with, drew with Austin Stacks. Another big, huge game in the Kerry Championship. Um, Austin Stacks were seven points ahead and Dingle came back and then went ahead and this to and fro then um, at the end. So that was the big kind of uh, talking point out of that. So two big, huge games in Kerry. Two really big games in Limerick as well. This was last Friday, um, last These games were on TJ Cahar. The the Napirshi Kilmalak game was. This was a very good game. And we'll be talking to Graham Mulcahy in part three about this one. I do like the quote from Tony Considine, who's a definitely a col- colourful character. Goes back a long way to the Gerlach Nan era in the 90s. He says, we came here or we came in to make a statement. So, like, I mean, I like quotes like that after a game, Connor. Like, it's not like, oh, well, no, you know, Napier Sugar, a great team. It's like, we didn't just want to win. We wanted to make a statement. Like, I mean, we've all been part of team meetings where it's as like, you know, we have to let other teams know that we're here. You know what I mean? Make a statement against a big team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they went, did they go, did they go five points down, I think, as well? Yeah, yeah. Against a team of Napierce's caliber, so there's obviously a lot of character and kind of belief there, and especially when you're hearing it from somebody like like I'm sure Kilmalik would have had big managers over the years as well, given their size in Limerick. But when you hear somebody with the status of Tony Gonsolin that was involved with Sherlock Nan and involved himself as senior manager, you know, when you hear somebody of his of his caliber making that sort of statement, that that can only that can only do to kind of you know. Yeah, have a huge increase in your belief levels and stuff. And I don't think uh, I don't think Kilmalik had uh, beaten the Pierce either since 2014. So there's uh, especially between clubs with that rivalry, there's the the uh, like a sort of mini hoodoo can develop that you think that you know that like when, when things get tight in games that you think oh we have these they just can't they just can't beat us. And I'm sure the New Pierce lads were probably telling them. So that was a huge kind of uh, huge statement as as Tony Constantine said for Kilmalik to to get such a big victory earlier on. Yeah, exactly. In Galway, St. Thomas has won a classic. They're defending champions. Liam Mellows, who were beaten in last year's final, they were beaten um, again. In Tipperary, Turles Sarsfields beat Kilruan McDonough's by six points. Lark Harbour came on as a sub, but the big story of this game was Billy McCarthy um, played after two years out. So poor Billy McCarthy. I remember Billy McCarthy. It was under Michael Ryan, um, gave him his goal. I think it was back in 2017. I remember um, the name. But then he lined out for his club and he dislocated his kneecap and ruptured two cruciate ligaments. Like, I mean, it's crazy stuff. So he quotes from um, Billy. He said, the scariest time was just after the operation. I woke up and I couldn't feel my leg because they had to cut off the blood supply during the operation. There was so much swelling around the knee um, that they had to cut off the blood to it. And there was a, a tourniquet on it at the top of my leg. Um, so when you mix that with the local anaesthetic and the general anaesthetic, I couldn't feel my leg. Now they told me to expect that, but I thought it would be for a day or two, but it lasted two weeks. Two weeks, the chap, without feeling his bloody leg. So he was bedbound for six weeks. He was in a brace for five months. At one stage, getting to go to the toilet was a 15-minute expedition, even though that was only in the next room. 
Billy McCarthy, congratulations and well done. It's actually Maliki Clerken in the Irish Times piece I was reading. And not only all that was when he actually started going back training, his knee would swell up like a balloon. So it's not like when he got back training, it, the nightmare was over. The nightmare continued on after that, Conan. So, like, I mean, Billy McCarthy deserves a huge bit of credit and let's keep our eye out for him and hope that Liam, um, Liam Sheedy um, gets him back in with the county. Mm. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Just the, the lengths that people would go to just to get back playing, especially for for club as well, and like the torture you're going through. Like that, you're talking about his knees swelling up after every session, after he's already gone through all that. What you've just described, yeah, you know, all that rehab and prehab every single session just to get himself into that position. That's it's class. That's that, that actually sounds like the worst injury I've ever heard of. So he's done both cruciates and dislocated his knee and he's been out for two years. I can't think about like you could break your two legs and be back before that. Yeah, yeah and as well as well as that Willie he was saying that like um <clears throat> when he went back the second time when he was going training and his knee used to swell up, then they actually discovered that his ACL was gone again. Do you know so like he was wondering why his knee was swelling up all the time. So he was saying that like while it was awful news to get, it was also good news in a way because at least they actually identified a problem because he was going back training and wondering why he was blowing up all the time. So then like he, he knew he had to go back to rehab, but at least he knew that there was a problem there that could be solved. And just like I was reading it there lately as well, like he was saying that when you said that his, his, he couldn't feel his leg for two weeks, he said, geez, this it really struck home with me. He said that he was getting his mother to tickle the bottom of his feet every few seconds just to see, you know, was, was there feeling back again? He said he had driven her daft. Eventually he came back after two weeks. But imagine that being told that, you're, you're, you you think there's no feeling for a day or two and then it lasts for two weeks you probably think that it's never going to come back so yeah. to be back walking for him to be back you know active never mind playing club football and and potentially playing county football playing club hurling potentially playing club, county hurling again is just an amazing story I'm glad you corrected yourself there like I mean it's just it's just in your brain from Mayo that it's there's no such thing as hurling and uh, come here to finish up here lads uh, before we get to Graham Mulcahy I was just looking at some of the headlines from the weekend and like it's Graham Mulcahy man of the match Paul Geaney pulling it out of the fire for his club Sean O'Shea man of the match pulling it out for his club Tony Kelly um, he got seven from play. Desi Hutchinson, two, three from play. Jack O'Connor, 13 points. The Hurley brothers yesterday running amok. Luke Connolly ran amok for, for Nemo Rangers. He had Austin Gleeson, who got three from play, two frees, a 65 and two second half sidelines. Aaron Galan, who scored two goals for his club. And you just look at it like, again, I think maybe I might go on about this too much, that the inter-county players are the most important people in the whole association. They're the most important people for the clubs. The pressure that's on them to perform for the clubs. Some people think, oh, they don't want to play for the clubs. When they go back to their clubs, if they don't perform, there's a very good chance their club loses. They're constantly performing with their club. They're constantly performing with their county. They don't get a break all year round because they go straight from inter-county back to club and the whole club eyes on them to say, here, pull this out of the fire for us. You know, you haven't been here all year. Sometimes the inter-county players are painted as the enemy and all these lads do is keep everything ticking along and going, uh, Conan. I don't think, uh, maybe, maybe they do get enough credit, but I want to give them some more credit. Ah, give it to them, like they're, they're club men as well. That's the thing that they're they're always keen to say and, and they should say. Like you look, like Tommy Freeman there, still playing at 39 years of age, you know, for Mahara Clune. Like that's, he's given all that service to Monaghan and he's still giving all that service to his club. Um, the only exception I would say is Mr. Tony Brosnan because you well know Willie club championship time is Tony Brosnan time and yeah finding mm. another one eight there for Dr. Crooks but not to shit on your county parade here like the uh, 
Well, it's I'd good. say Tony Brosnan is a county player too. I was going to put him in, but it was a bit of a grey area with him. He's not exactly uh, an established county player, but he's definitely been on been on panels. But I say, I just think Connor, like I mean, they don't get a break all year, you know. And like club yeah. players complain about not having enough games. Intercounty players are flogged at the intercounty level and then come back in and have to be the leaders. They have to perform. They have to immediately slap out of intercounty psyche and get back. And, you know, be the driving force of a club that they probably haven't been around, which is not their fault. And if they're not, the whole club is given out about them. Like, I mean, intercounty players are under the most pressure amongst the whole uh, members of the GEA. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an element of them being taken for granted. Like, I'm sure, like, in any given season, there's, after a long season, there's some club players that might not be 100% committed, but for 99% of them, they're as committed to their club as they are to their county. And the thing is, the club championship this year, for me anyway, are going to take on a completely different dimension because you're, you know, normally you have county players coming off the back of a long season with, you know, with inter-county. They might be carrying injuries, they might not be as motivated. Whereas this year, because they're playing the club championship first, they're going to be absolutely flying it, they're, you know, because they have to be ready for an inter-county championship that's going to start immediately after that club championship. And you're seeing it already. Look at the names that you just listed there. All the lads in Kerry, um, Aaron Galan and Limerick, uh, Desi Hutchins and all these names. You know, they're, they're already like at the peak of their powers. And like a, there's a lot of club players that are going to really kind of see, you know, if they, if they thought they'd seen county players playing well against them before they're going to see a different animal now and even just like kind of from 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 our own perspective Mayo we played uh, Jason Doherty on uh, Saturday night back from a long injury I think he scored 2-3 against us uh, Colin Boyle was back playing for Mayo after a long injury as well so just just good to hear those stories as well but you're right there's there's an element of them being taken for granted and I think you're going to see this year more than any year how just how valuable they are to their club yeah exactly right okay lads we'll leave it there and we'll come back and we'll talk to Graham Mulcahy I remember my mother, Lord Mercenary, she's dead. She's eight years this year. She never saw me holding live, but she always went to the matches, to the hotel, the two finals, and we got off the bus after the first one. And the first person to meet me was my mother, and she said, Look, what's meant to be is meant to be. She said, Keep the head up. I said, Grant, no problem, man, thanks. 96, back to the hotel again, first person <laughs> off the bus, my mother. She says, ah, look, what's meant to be a Tim Hammond? You give it a fucking right. Right, so Kilmallock beat favourites Napiershig in the first round of the Limerick Championship on Friday night. Graham Mulcahy scored 1-4 and he was man of the match. He joins us on the line now. Must have been nice to be back, um, Graham. Yeah, it was great to be back. I think um, the, the, the lockdown certainly uh, was, was tough for a lot of people. Um, I found it myself. It was, a, it was a nice change of pace, but to get back in with the with the group and, and get training as a group and just have that bit of bit of social contact was excellent um, and to get back to winning ways then and the and the first the first round of the championship was, was great for, for our team. Yeah, but even the buzz of scoring one four, getting a goal, you know, I know there wouldn't have been a big cheer with the two hundred that were there, even less supporters, but just to be back in a competitive game scoring. Yeah, like it was lovely. Um 
suppose, to get the, the results we had. Um, having struggled, I suppose, to, to beat Pearshig over the last few years, it was, it was just a great buzz for the group, really. Um, I suppose whatever about scoring the, the one four, I think, for the group, and um, just to have that that victory that, that I suppose we've been sought after the last couple of years was, was, was huge for us. Tony Considine said after the match, he said, we came in to make a statement. Like, was this part of your, your focus, not just to win, but to actually show teams in Limerick here, we're what, you know, we're still one of the big boys here? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Um, coming into the game, like we haven't been, haven't won a county since 2014. And as we knew if we lost the game, we'd have been under pressure. And as to, we had to send send out some sort of a marker for the start of the year um, and, and give ourselves easiest route possible to, to to a county final. So it was always been in our minds to, to, to lay down that marker. Right, okay. So like in team in in team meetings that's what the focus was. Um yeah, I think we spoke about it a few times and um we wouldn't be a big team for having a lot of meetings, but when we did speak, like we did speak about um really going out and, and chasing down this game and, and laying down a marker for the for the short short period of championship that's in it. Yeah, so Tony's back. He won championships with you in 2010 and 12, and you obviously won one in 14 as well. Like you said, you haven't won one since 2014 or beaten the Pearshig. Um, how important was it to get Tony back on board? Uh, I think it was huge. Like we've since we haven't won it in 2014, we've we've always been there thereabouts. We've contested semi-finals and finals every year. Yeah. Um, but to get Tony back and and his experience of the group, it's still it's still a lot of the same group that that he left in 2013. Um. Um, obviously, we had that bit more experience, but to get him back and him to have the knowledge of the club and and the knowledge of the group and and, and is is huge for us. Um, just that understanding, especially given the short time frame that's in us, that you don't have a lot of time to work with the with the players. Well, that's that's the thing. If it was another manager that didn't know the group, with the whole the way this year's turned out, it would it would be let's just say it would be a lot more challenging. Yeah, certainly it would be more challenging. Like that. Yeah, come here. This Limerick Championship is bloody hard to win. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very difficult. Tell us about it. Um, I think with the team we have, um, over the last couple of years, if if maybe if we had been not had had, had an appearance to to contend with, we would have um been a lot more successful in 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 Limerick and maybe even Munster. Um, but like they they've proven to be a an outstanding fight. Um, really the likes of ourselves and and Patrick Swells and Dune and Adair. I've been kind of playing catch up for the last few years and just trying to get to the level that they're at. And Baroness Patrick, spent over the last few years, have made that breakthrough and and have won two championships, um, which is a huge achievement given given the standard of of teams that are there. Yeah, I think that the the groups were seeded, were they? Because I was just looking at it like how Adair played Patrick's well, and then you played in the Pearshig. You know, such big games for a first round. Yeah, I think like the it took a. A view a couple of years ago to couple together the top six teams in Limerick and and have a, a second tiered six um, for the senior championship uh, where the the top teams would be would get games against each other and maybe the the weaker teams would would play at each other and and that would give you more even games across the county and uh, I think it gives just a better following as well like you don't want games that are that are running. 15, 16 point wins for a team. Um, so just keep yeah. it more interesting for for both fans, and I think it's more of a benefit for the, for the teams that are playing to yeah. even games. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Come here, you're out at number eleven for the club. Do you enjoy that? Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice it's a nice change of scenery. I suppose. Um, it's kind of sometimes I 
played and fin- I started actually playing the full power line tonight but I came out um, fairly soon into the game but it's it's, well, yeah, it's nice and just given my experience over the last number of years it's, it's a good, probably a good position to be in just to try and um, talk to the boys around me and, and just try and organise things from a four-hour unit. Right, right, okay and maybe try and obviously follow ball in and try to get on the end of things you know the, Yeah, the work, just work off the break and things like that Like, uh, Work well for your goal Contesting puckouts or anything like that but um, <laughs> yeah, just try, just try to be in the right place at the right time really. Yeah, come here. Was the ma- how, how did the match go? Like, I mean, was it was it weird? The water break, the you know, no dressing rooms, all that kind of thing. Um, certainly the the water breaks. I think the dressing rooms is probably something we've been getting used to just from even training and then playing the odd challenge match. But the water breaks are are a difficult one to to really manage. Um, certainly we felt the the water break in the second half. We had a lot of momentum going into that water break and kind of just seemed to kill that and we never really picked up that momentum after the water break and, and um, lucky enough we 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 tacked on one more point I think in that last 15 minutes that, that was enough to see us through but um, definitely killed some of our momentum so it's, it's it's just it's certainly something that teams would have to look at and see how they're going to manage um, Yeah has, has, the, has, has, the, has the water break been explained to you Graham? like what's the what's the need for it like I mean I was I saw somebody saying it's that everybody has their own individual bottle, but like everyone has their own individual hurl and lads are able to throw in a hurl if you break one. You know, is are, do you think the water breaks needed? Um, I think, you know, maybe logistically given the amount of really backroom staff you're allowed with a team now, like it might be tough for teams to be, have their own individual water bottles running in off the line and, and in and out. So, um, from that sense, maybe it makes sense, um, but um, yeah, I, I don't see the real the real need for it. Um, it's probably something that hasn't really been explained to us. But I've seen it. Uh, I've just been seeing it from watching the Premiership and things like that. I just didn't really look into it too much or try to analyse it too much. Just went with it. Yeah, yeah, no, because because there is there is definitely a case that, like you say, you score a goal. And your tails are up, and suddenly it's a water break. Like I mean, it definitely can change momentum of a game depending on its timing. Yeah, certainly. Like it gives, it, it definitely gives the opposition more so than the, the the person that's not in control of the game more. Yeah, have a chance to get reorganised and, and readjusted, and and um, just give their manager a couple of seconds to to try and sort things out and with the players all around him. So obviously, if you're if you don't have the momentum, it's a huge positive view in that sense. Um, well, that's so, it. So we might be on the other end, on the other end of, on, on the other end of those um, those breaks and um, further down the line. So it's like a time. Yes. Yeah, it's like a time out, I suppose. I presume managers aren't allowed to talk to you, but they're definitely in your ear as you're trying to drink your water. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely there um, in around the group, um, trying to give some sort of direction. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Come here, um, you mentioned the lockdown and like you're on the go since 2009. So like, I mean, we were talking on the show about this and whether it could suit some players depending on the age profile, depending on injuries, depending on the previous season, lots of different things. How, how did you find it? Are you glad of the break? Like at 30 years of age, a lot of years under your belt, you know, did it, did it not the end of the world for you? Uh, no, certainly not. I think like it is what it is, but you know, for me personally, it was a nice change of pace for for a couple of weeks, and obviously would have liked it to be maybe a shorter time frame, but um, that's how it panned out. But like I, I certainly picked up a bit of a groin injury towards the 
the end of the league and it was nice just to get that cleared up with the with the break um, and then just work work on maybe strengthening up that, that area so it could be fit and ready to, to come back strong so it was just nice to have that bit of time and I live in Cork City so just driving up and down the train and it takes a toll if you're driving up the train four times a week so um, just to get that time off the road as well and just time to, to rest is nice um, yeah. that's just from that's just for me personally like um, in a selfish yeah. sense but obviously for for other people it's had a had a, a completely different impact on their lives and um, losing loved ones or just, just um, maybe struggling mentally like so obviously it was nice for me personally but, but it hasn't been hasn't been that way for, for a lot of people yeah, no, exactly. Losing jobs and things as well. Come here, is it difficult for from a Limerick point of view? Because, you know, maybe if we know Paul Knurk is a tactical coach and he likes to do walkthroughs and, you know, get down on the field with you. And if you wanted to change some stuff from last year tactically, you know, it's definitely thrown a spanner in the works there. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, um, obviously, like when we, once we get back um, in mid-September, we're not going to have the amount of time we usually would have to work on on and things tactically but I think like the, the core group have been around Paul for the last two or three years so um, I think that will that will stand to us that anything he wants to implement like I think guys are used to just, just listening up and, and trying to implement what, what he wants to implement in, in, in a short space of time like if if we had a two week gap between a championship game like and we wanted to implement things like that would be enough time to do that so right. um, I can't see it being an issue really by the time we get back Right, okay, and you'll be fit enough coming off the club championship as well. Come here, you must have loved you must love the time since Paul came in. Like, I mean, the game plan, the structure, no big long kind of hopeful balls that you might be hoping to get a break off. Like you know where the balls are being delivered to, your movement is excellent. Like you've really flourished in that system. Yeah, like it's, I've I've enjoyed it massively, like then I've said that that structure and, and knowing how we going how we're going to play really suits me and I can just organise my game and, and off that and, and as long as I'm kind of doing what, what Paul and John want me to do um, I feel like I can just keep, keep improving and, and and just keep contributing to the team Yeah because like obviously you've got loads of space the way the half forward line drops back in and it's not like it's being launched they're diagonal balls they're into space like I mean it's almost a perfect situation um, for, a, for a full forward line Yeah it is it is like and it's like if you're, I suppose, full back line, like you'd, you'd always hate to, to have that that space in front of you. So, like it, it has been a huge positive for me and, and for the other full forward line. And I suppose I'm lucky in a sense that there's huge competition in there really as well to, to push you to, to try and improve further. Um, you the likes of James Franigan and Anne Glad and Peter Casey and Pat Ryan and a couple of more guys like that are that are really pushing hard. So that competition as well helps. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Come here, did you notice in 2019 teams starting to figure out your system, whereas they might have been caught by surprise a little bit in 18 when you won it? Um, this was not up to the Kilkenny game last year. Um, I'm not sure was that just because they figured out what we were we were about. I think maybe we had a bit of an off day that day, but um, I think we have a good. I suppose we 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 do we don't we're not stuck to that system like um and certainly if teams do sit back against us like we have guys further out the field that are well able well able to, to pick up a score like um yeah go take with or Kyle A's or Tom R.C. Declan and and, and Keenan those guys like if you sit back like they they want to punish you so um I don't think it's just that easy just to 
to sit back and, and try and close out that system. Well, that's it. That's We often talk about this when we're analysing Limerick on the show. If you sit back, you leave the half-forward line score. And if you push up on the half-forward line, you're leaving all the space for the full-forward line. So Limerick's definitely not an easy system to 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 kind of figure out. I think maybe Kenny, I don't know, did they swarm you all over the field and didn't allow the ball to go in? You know, you didn't probably get the quality ball that you'd be used to. Yeah, definitely. I think the, their intensity around the middle third in that first 20 minutes was yeah. something we hadn't come up, come up against in in any of the games in the two years previous even. So I think we were a bit surprised maybe on the day by that. And um, once they got that bit of a lead, we were always chasing the game. And, and in fairness to them, like they did a, a fantastic um, performance that day. Like that we just couldn't live with. Yeah, exactly. Come here. Listen, the 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 draw in the Munster Championship hasn't exactly been fair to you. So you've clear in the first round. You win that, you have to play tip, and then it's Cork or Waterford. You know, Cork will be favourites for that. That's just to get out of Munster potentially clear tip and <laughs> clear tip and Cork. Yeah, so yeah, it's a tough draw. Um, I suppose whatever way the draw went, um, I think if you're getting a quarter final, you'd you'd always like hope maybe to avoid a quarter final to have that. I suppose. The extra time, yeah. Into the monster, yeah. But I suppose whether it be Clare or Watford or Park or Tip in the first round, I think like, all of them pose their own challenges. Um, and again, then to have Tip then in the semi final, like, it's obviously a very difficult route into a monster final. Um, and with, with such, such little time between games as well, um, it could be a very difficult uh, winter. Well, that's the but thing. We're, we're, we're relishing that, like, yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, well, it's definitely something to look forward to. There's no doubt about that. Like, I mean, I know you're all focused. Is it a weird one playing, being completely focused with your club without having the inter-county distractions? Because usually, you know, you have to wait till the inter-county's over and then you have to try and get your mind refocused on the club, which can be difficult. Is it is it different this year where you're starting with the club and, you you know, you don't really have an inter-county distraction? Yeah, I think it is a bit different. Like, it's, it is very nice to have that solid few weeks with your club like that you're, you know when your games are set like and there's no nothing up in the air there so it's nice for that group like that probably haven't had that in 10 years like um, and, and the club scene so it's nice from that point of view but from an inter-county point of view you're still I suppose looking at your own fitness and your own yeah. conditioning like to try and ensure like that once the club is over that you're you're that bit ahead that that you're not going into the inter-county scene um bit behind um, other people so you, you still have that in the back of your head yeah staying some making sure that you're right for it yeah exactly yeah. so it's obviously right. like club is a 60 minute game and, and probably not as physical as the intercounty game so like I suppose trying to ensure that when it comes to that you're able to last uh, the full 70-75 minutes and, and take those maybe bigger hits that, that your condition is, is, is right in the in, over these coming weeks so trying to balance that with the club pictures is, is, is a difficult one Well that, I didn't really think about that actually because usually with the inter-county subs as well you're looking at maybe 77 78 minutes and the club might be 62 you're looking at an extra 15 minutes Yeah yeah and like obviously for bulkier players are going to play that full 75 77 minutes so um, it, it, can, it can be make a huge difference but to, to have that extra bit of fitness yeah, no, definitely would. And is there any, have you have you talked with John Kiley or Knurk or any of them about, you know, that actual issue? That's an interesting one, definitely, because everyone, I've been reading a lot of people saying the club is a great preparation for the inter-county. And I was thinking, it's not really, it's a completely different level altogether. I didn't even think the 15 minutes at the end. Yeah, um, I'm not too sure, no, we, like we haven't spoken as a group 
Um, again, I think we're all probably in touch with our strength and conditioning coach, um, Michael Kiley, who will give, be giving us the gym programs and things like that. Like so, but I'm sure as, as clubs get knocked out over the coming weeks, um, guys will probably get individual running programs to try and get them up to the level of fitness required. Um, I think a lot of them will be at that, that level already. Like it's just maybe, um, just to to, to reinforce that and to to ensure that that guys are coming back in the best shape possible. Yeah, exactly. Well, Graham, come here. I won't take up any more of your time. I know you're under pressure there. Thanks very much for taking the call. No problem, Colin. Thank you. We'll talk again. All right. Great stuff from Graham there. Um, that's always time for today. We'll be back on Thursday with another show. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are on the... We're trying hard to make it through, but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Warford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken.